One of the things that uh, is exciting is obviously we're in our Christmas season, and um, one of the things that you'll often hear is it's a season of hope, it's a season of peace, it's a season of love. And I wanted you just for a moment to think about love for a second. It says that you're loved. What does that mean? How do you know if someone loves you? Is it words, actions, feelings, or a combination of all the above? Have you given a lot of thought to what it really means when somebody says that they love you? Or that you're loved? And how do you just know that they do or don't? Now, switch this for a moment when, to when God says it. When God says, you're loved... How do you know? When God says you're loved, what does His love actually look like? Well, this morning we're going to dive into our Advent series, Christmas Light is Here, and we're going to really look at the light of love. And we're going to look specifically at God's love for us as revealed through the coming of Christ. So let's go ahead and read that passage together this morning as we dive right into the Scriptures this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 1. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 5. This week we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 13. Next week we'll be taking a brief break because Jews for Jesus will actually be here doing a, a, a special sermon and presentation on Jesus and the Hanukkah feast. And then on the Sunday before Christmas, we'll be looking together at John 1, verses 14 through 18. So let's go ahead and read verses 6 through 13 together. This is what it says. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we look at Your Word, may it be Your Spirit who leads us this morning. God, we desire You. We don't want parts of ourselves in this. We want to hear directly from You this morning. Father, I pray that it would be You who brings Your Word forth in power, that You, God, would would speak through me. And Lord, if there's things that are binding us up, that are holding us up, that are consuming our minds and hearts right now, I pray that we would just put those at your feet this morning. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you've displayed towards us. We thank you for the love that you've demonstrated towards us. And Father, may this morning, may we fall more in love with you today. May we understand what your love is and how you have demonstrated and revealed it to us. And God, as children of yours, 
may we demonstrate that love to others. May we live lovingly with one another. And we ask this in your name. Amen. The heart of this passage this morning is the idea that the light of Christ comes into the world to make known God's love towards us. Simply put, the light of Christ comes into the world to make known God's love towards us. Christ comes to make known His love. So Jesus comes into the world to make known His love. And in this Advent season, the joy that we have, the hope that we have, which is found in the person of Christ, as we saw last week, which is found in the power of Christ, which we saw, and is found in the perseverance of Christ, is a direct result of God demonstrating His love towards us. And it's in the coming of Christ that we are reminded of His love, that His love has come and continues to come towards us, and has come into the world. That God's love has been displayed into the world. When I was in college, I uh, experienced a, a kind of devastating injury. And I know that it's shocking for me, I guess, uh, that, uh, that I might experience hospital visits on a regular basis. But when I was in college, I had a wire wheel sander that, that imploded, that it was working on. And through a weird set of circumstances I won't get into, as I was raising my goggles, this wire wheel sander that somebody else was using imploded. And just as I lifted my goggles, this flying metal or flying pieces of what looked like staples one of them landed directly through the center of my eye. And in that moment, as you can imagine, the fear that kicks in and all that goes with that, and arriving at the hospital with this, this eye that had been split open because of this piece of metal, all I could see in certain parts of my eye were big black dots. And throughout the evening as we went through the hospital, I remember my sight going from 2020 vision, actually 2015 vision, to not being able to see at all. And I remember the fear. The fear that was overwhelming of I would never see again. I remember the, the sense of, of loss and beginning to wonder what it would be, look like to, to live with one eye. And, and that fear that came with doctors saying, we don't know that we can even save the eye. And yet, within a few days, as God worked in a miracle, in a miraculous way, and through the the hands of doctors that were skilled and working in that, slowly but surely the eye began to restore itself. And I remember that day where they took the patch off and things were blurry, but I could at least make out some shapes. I could at least see with some film over the eyes. 
And then they took this little shield. And the shield was a metal shield that was placed over the eye and it had all kinds of holes. And they placed that metal shield and they taped it to my head. And I remember the weirdest thing. All of a sudden, that blurry vision that was all tweaked up became bright and clear. And over the next few weeks, as the eye began to heal, they began taking that shield and removing it. And the hope that came because I could see clearly through those holes. And over time, what they began sharing with me was that as they changed the position of the light and focused the light, what they were actually doing was refracting that light and giving me sight. And by God's grace, I healed. But in those moments, what they said was, you know what, what, what you're seeing here is what we do with things like glasses. We take light and we narrow it down so you can see clearly. And I remember the hope and the joy and the overwhelmed feeling of, thank you, Lord, that I can see. Even if it's with the aid of something else, I can see and I can see clearly. When Jesus comes into the world, He takes what was blurry or seemingly blurry to the world and He makes it clear. Jesus is called the light because He he shines a light. He reveals the very nature and character of God. He reveals the very essence of God because He is God in person. And so the light of Christ comes into the world to make known God's love towards us. The very essence of Christ's light is a demonstration of God's love. The fact that Christ comes as light to reveal God is actually an aspect of His love. So the coming of Jesus then does three things. It illuminates and demonstrates God's love through a few aspects here that we see in this passage. The coming of Jesus illuminates and demonstrates God's love through first, His witness. One of the ways that we can know God's love is through His witness. His witness for us. Know what it says in verse 6 through 8. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. You see, the John being spoken of here is not the Apostle John or the Apostle that's actually writing this book. But rather, it's John the Baptist. Matthew 3, 1-3 through says this, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John the Baptist was the fulfillment of God's promise to send, as Malachi 3.1 says, his messenger to prepare the way by proclaiming the coming of Christ. 
John the Baptist was what? He was the fulfillment of God's promise. He was demonstrating God's faithfulness. God said that He would send somebody to to be a herald to let others know that Christ was coming. Who to look for. He, He didn't leave His people in the lurch. He didn't say, go figure it out, right? You always have those situations, I don't know if you've been in situations where you're doing something and maybe it was as a, as a kid and you're, you're asking for help and your parents are busy and your parents are like, yeah, you're going to have to figure that one out on your own, right? And you were kind of struggling through that, like, where do I even begin, right? God didn't leave us saying, where do I begin? God told us who to look for. And John the Baptist was the sign that the Messiah was coming into the world. John the Baptist was the one preparing the way. Notice that his primary purpose is to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. God makes it clear who the Messiah is. He he didn't leave us guessing. He's the fulfillment of Scripture as the one who comes before God's promised Messiah, Jesus, to declare His coming. Christ comes with a witness. One that has prepared the way, that is calling people to repentance. Hearts are being prepared. And that witness was to be a sign that Messiah presence was near coming into the world as one commentator puts it he says he came to bear witness to the light light is a thing which witnesses for itself and carries its own evidence along with it but to those who are, who shut their eyes against the light it is necessary there should be those that bear witness to it Christ's light needs not man's testimony but the world's darkness does It needs the testimony of Christ. So Christ demonstrates and illuminates God's love through first His witness. One of the greatest acts of love that God has given towards us is a witness declaring who Christ is. It prevents us from following false teachers and false messiahs. Now that's important because today God has called His people to bear witness about Christ. We tend to look at John the Baptist and see his ministry and go, that's wonderful. But in many ways today, we are called to do the very same thing, to be heralds of Christ and His coming. Now His coming is slightly different because what we're heralding is that Christ has already come and He is coming again. And the question is, have we responded by repentance and belief? Isaiah 43, 10-11 says, You are my witnesses, speaking of His people, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. 
The only true Savior is Jesus. And God has given us a witness to that Savior in John the Baptist. An act of love so that we would not, we would not follow false teachers or false gospels. And with that, what he's saying is this same love that is demonstrated through Jesus, through His witness, is the same thing that God is saying that, listen, my church is to be my witness, that one of the greatest acts that you have of love towards others is to be my witness. You too have been given the call to be the ones that herald the good news of Jesus. And one of the greatest acts of love that you can display towards others is to demonstrate and carry out and declare the testimony about Jesus. If the greatest gift that we've been given is Jesus Christ, and we don't share the hope of Jesus out of fear, out of apathy, out of inadequacy, we're not loving people well. God has called us to be heralds. The reason that God says that there is good news is because it has to be told. Friendship with the lost has value and is important. But it must move to the sharing of His truth. I think today we've adopted a culture that assumes that friendship is enough that people might just simply see Jesus in us. And that's what we want them to see. We want them seeing Jesus in us and we want them asking questions. But we need to be responsive to the Spirit of the Lord and not just waiting for something to happen to proactively witness the way that John the Baptist witnessed. John went out of the city and he began to proclaim who Jesus was. We too need to be proclaimers of who Jesus is. And if we don't have a heart for those who don't know Jesus, we're not loving as Christ loves. We may say it's not our spiritual gift and it's not the most comfortable thing, but the truth is, God has called each of us to be His witnesses. We need to bear testimony to who Jesus is. And the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ, reminds us that God gave us a witness so that we might know and that He has made us His witnesses so that others might know the light of Christ. The second way that the light of Christ illuminates and demonstrates God's love is through His humility. The second way that Jesus illuminates and demonstrates God's love is through His humility. Notice here in verses 9-11, through 11, it says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. Now notice this, the true light was coming into the world. Think about this for a second. The Creator God Himself 
leaves his throne and enters the world. This is the ultimate act of humility. Now, I I want you to honestly think about presidents of nations. How many of them just hang out with common man? Now, there are reasons why they don't. Safety and others. But think about it. You can't just walk up to the front door of the White House anymore. You used to be able to. And knock on the front door and say, I'd like to sit with you, Mr. President. Kings of nations are not just hanging out with the common people. And yet the Creator of the world has come into the world to be with people. The true light which gives light to everyone, it says. And maybe that's better translated, enlightens every man, is, is probably the best way to read that. The true light which enlightens every man actually refers to Christ being the giver of all reason and comfort and blessing. So he comes into the world and he's given everything to the world comfort, reason, blessing. It's not suggesting that everyone has been given or received the light of Christ, but it's making it clear that God is the giver of all good things. He comes into the world enlightening men, meaning giving them reason, giving them blessing, giving them comfort. It's one of the distinctions that he makes between us and animals. He doesn't enlighten the animals. He enlightens mankind. There's a quick and clear distinction. Matthew Henry put it this way, whatever light any man has, he is indebted to Christ for it. Whether it be natural or supernatural. James 1.16-18 affirms this when it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, meaning the Father of light has sent His Son, the light, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Whoa. What he's saying here is that the blessings that we have, everything good that is is of this world and in this world is a result of Jesus. A humble king who steps off of his throne and enters the world as a child in a poor and lonely manger. Why? Because of his love. Because of his love. Now notice this. In in spite of this, the world, it says, did not know him. And his own people did not receive him. God knew this. Rejection in the face of the ultimate act of humility. I don't know about you guys, but ever try to approach somebody in humility? And they respond harshly to you and you find yourself just as prideful as you were before. Like, that's me. Been there, right? Like, somebody comes back and you're like, wait a second, I guess I wasn't as humble as I thought I was, right? God came in humility. 
And in the face of rejection, he didn't just leave and say to heck with them all. He came and redeemed mankind. Not only did the world not know him, but his own people, the Jews who had been given the promises of God, rejected him. The nation of Israel. Now we're too to have the same heart and mind. We too demonstrate love through humility. When we can be prideful and assert our own rights, and we can be prideful and act as if people ought to reward us, it is in our humility where we, we, we lower ourselves, we position ourselves and exalt others. It's where we work with the lowly. We minister to the lowly. We don't show favoritism. But we come to the lowly. And we walk in humility. And we walk beside them, broken. We stand with the one who is struggling with sin and say simply, I know what it's like. The struggle with sin is powerful, but Christ is greater. And I'm with you. Philippians 2, 5-11 through says, Have this mind among you yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Jesus represents God's love. Jesus illuminates God's love. Jesus demonstrates God's love through His humility. And we are called to walk in that same humility with one another. And we are called to walk in that same humility amongst the world. Why is it that the world so easily rejects the pride of the church when people come and followers of Christ come with callousness, when they come to just simply throw a position rather than to hear what's there? What would happen if believers listened even to ideas they like without getting angry and then lovingly directed and shared? What would happen as believers in a world if we too could have discussions about differing politics and differing ideas and different ideologies without getting angry and dismissing one another the way the world does? The world would see a unity that's based in the love of Christ. This is the love that we experience at Christmas. The love of God revealed in Jesus. So the love of God then is illuminated and demonstrated through Jesus' witness, the coming witness of God. 
saying that Jesus is coming. It's witnessed through His humility. And the love of God is witnessed here through Jesus' mercy. Verse 12 through 13 says this, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, salvation comes not by works, but by repentance and belief in Jesus. If we want to have relationship with Jesus, it is when we come, we recognize that we are sinners, we repent of that sin, and we turn towards Jesus and declare, confess that He is Lord. That's an act of mercy. One that's undeserved. And what God is saying in this is that this salvation, this mercy, is not simply demonstrated to God's initial to the people, the the nation of Israel, but it is offered now to Gentile and Jew alike. Now take a look here just for a moment at the two aspects of God's mercy revealed in this passage. The first is that it grants the privileges of being His children. It grants the privileges of being His children. Notice what verse 12 says. He gave the right to become children of God. Now, now think about this for a minute. One of the things that we often talk about is saved from heaven and hell. That's important, right? God's salvation, saved from heaven to hell, is important. And, and when we're children, that's a, a pretty hefty prospect because what I know is I don't want hell and I definitely want heaven. The problem with it is, is that view of salvation is too small and too narrow. God didn't just save you out of hell. He saved you and brought you into His family as heirs. You have all the rights and privileges of the children of God. The promises that are laid out in Scripture for children of God, all of them are yours for those who repent and believe on Jesus. That's exciting. He adopted us as sons and daughters into His family. That's an act of mercy. One of the ways that we see even in our own community that we demonstrate love is through a ministry called Foster the Bay. Where we're seeing more and more Christian families beginning to adopt children in our communities. I have to be honest with you, adoption is one of the most profound ways to demonstrate Jesus' love because it is exactly what Jesus did for us. He adopted us. And He gave us the rights and privileges as His children. Galatians 4, 4-7 through says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father! So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. That should excite us. The mercy of God is not just about being saved from hell, but it is experiencing the blessing of being children of God as full heirs of God's promises, which includes His Spirit. That His Spirit has been granted in us to live 
and live righteously before him. The second act of his mercy that we see in this passage then is in verse 13, where it says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. His mercy is displayed as he regenerates hearts for salvation. He regenerates hearts for salvation. So the first aspect of that mercy that we see in this passage is that it grants the privileges of being children. The second is that it regenerates hearts for salvation. Christ is already working in a person's heart to bring them to an understanding of who Jesus is before they ever respond to His grace. This regenerating work sometimes, I think, is is pulled out and separated from salvation. The problem with it is, is that the regenerating work prior to a person coming to Christ and the ongoing work after a person comes to Christ is one saving event. It is His salvation at work. It's not a result of anything that man does or man desires or man's want. It is totally a work of Jesus. It is totally a work of God. Romans 9, 16-18 says, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. This is hard for us sometimes to understand. But when we understand that God's regenerating work is a mercy of God, when we see that salvation is not about us, but is about Him, it's easy to think that salvation is about man. And in some respects it is in the sense that He's saving man, but He's saving man for His glory according to His love. It's for His glory, not for man's glory. It's so that His name might be proclaimed. That His mercy might be seen. That His justice might be seen. That His holiness and righteousness be known. And when our eyes are open to the truth of God, we can rejoice This doesn't change the mission that God has given us to be witnesses. It doesn't change the humility of Christ. And it certainly doesn't change salvation. It should motivate us more to be those who proclaim who Jesus is. John Stott said this. He said, it shows clearly that believing is the consequence, not the cause of the new birth. Our present continuing activity of believing is the result and therefore the evidence of our past experience of new birth by which we became and remain God's children. Stephen Cole adds this. He says, in other words, believing in Christ is evidence that God has given you new life through the new birth. It's simultaneous. The saving work is going through. His mercy is that He regenerates hearts for salvation. The saving process begins before you actually repent and believe. How do we know that? 
Because John 6.44 puts it simply when it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Throughout this text, the one primary thing is a Christ who comes to us. He came into the world and in so doing, demonstrated the love of God through the witness, through his humility, and through his mercy. But his act of love is most clearly seen when you take all three of those things and recognize that it is a direct result a direct result of God's love in which God has sent His Son into the world coming to man. God is the initiator of relationship with us, not the other way around. And because He initiates that relationship, it demonstrates love. And that is why He has called His church to also be the one that initiates relationship with the world because it is in, through the initiation of relationship that love is expressed. Why does he tell you in Scripture when you've offended somebody to go to them? Why does he say that if, that if, if you have an offense with somebody, go to them? Why does he instruct us to go into the world? Because when we go and when we come to others, that very coming to others, that very initiating of relationship demonstrates love in a manner in which the God that we serve loves us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message of love that we have, knowing, God, that you are a God who has displayed, demonstrated, and illuminated your love through Jesus and his coming. And that that coming of Jesus demonstrated and illuminated your love through your witness humility, and mercy. Father God, may we today be a people who see the coming of Jesus as an example by how we are to live our lives. But may we also fall in greater love with you today. May we love you more because you have first loved us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.